you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening, uh, and thank you for letting us be a part of your Monday, helping you start off your work week. Um, we don't take it for granted that you um, listen to the podcast, you know, get them whenever you can, or that mm-hmm. you listen when you're in the school pickup line, um, or you listen when you're out running your errands, or, mm-hmm. or you're working, and you take us along and allow us to be kind of in the car with you. Um, I would like to just say, as you know, I'm I'm the neat one. I'm going to take all of my stuff out when I get out. <laughs> Will the Great's the one who that you're going to be like, can you get your straw wrapper? Like, can you just get that little white piece of paper? <laughs> anyway, good thing we're not literally in the car with you. Just kind of <laughs> right. in a figurative sense could get crowded. All right. Um, I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B and J Macro on tap to help us navigate the show. A um, little bit of a sobering topic we're going to talk about today. Of course, we're going to look at what's going on in the country, um, this current event. But as we do, we are going to fil- filter that through a biblical lens and just ask, asking the question, uh, what does this show us about where we are on God's timeline? Uh, do we have a point of reference to be able to understand that these are the kinds of things that we were warned would happen and would increase in our country. Mm. And um, I want to make sure that we open up the phone lines um, in the last segment of the show. I hear a beeping. I heard that too. Okay. I don't know where that's coming from. (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) Just whenever it is, Mm. I just hope it doesn't explode. (laughs) I don't know. It sounded like the the iron. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for that. Um, (laughs) Wow. Um, We'll open the phone lines up. (laughs) You're just so helpful sometimes. Sometimes hey, it's just you know, really, it's sometimes what I do. It's, I mean, it's better to wonder, you know, because it's, it's way more intriguing for it to be sort of like a, you know, MacGyver type thing. Like, ooh, I hope it doesn't, hope it doesn't explode. And then you're like, nah, it sounds like the iron is reminding you that it's plugged in. Hey. Like, you just don't have to reveal everything sometimes. And I'm no, I'm one to talk, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm the queen of that. Uh, anyways, um, we'll go back and uh, check the footage. <laughs> It's crazy oh, because it just seems so unlikely because that's kind of what you hear when it's recently used, but that's not the case. So <laughs> we'll have to go and see as we <laughs> leave the it's professional environment. Oh. It's not Friday. <laughs> oh, okay. And I we have such a sober topic to discuss. Oh. Uh, and we want to well, open the phone lines, serious. too. Let's get serious. Okay. Wanna, yeah, we got to just kind of pull yes. it together. I um, want to open mm-hmm. the phone lines because I want to hear from some of our listeners as um as I was preparing for today and just thinking through what um, happened over the weekend, which you brought to my attention. Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking of our brother, Scott, who called in when we opened the phone lines up on the national day of prayer. And we asked for um, the watchmen and the intercessors to call in. And um, as a watchman, Scott identified himself as a law enforcement officer. And when I say that, I don't mean that in the progressive way that they, you know what I mean? Like, I don't mean it that way. I mean, like he just, 
I got to find different words because they contaminate everything, mm-hmm. right? But he mm-hmm. just let don't us let know. Have it. Don't let him have it. He, I know. That's right. That's right. You're you know? so right about that. Yeah. Um, but our brother Scott informed us that he is a law enforcement officer. Mm-hmm. And um, he was making, man, such astute observations and talking about the violence in our culture, um, how this has become normalized, how um, there's no longer a belief in consequences for sin. And you see this kind of ramping up everywhere. And this came back to my mind as I was looking at what happened over the weekend and um, and just just also thinking about the big picture of where we are. You always want to examine the spiritual implications of right. where we are at at any given moment um, in our country. Right. But not just in our country, also in the world. And so here is today's topic. And, and I want to discuss this and, and I kind of want to make my case here and hopefully, um, <clears throat> excuse me, get some insights from you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, today's topic is they want this. They want this. The truly wicked among us want what happened in this country this weekend. So I say that to say, do not be confused. Um, Do not be manipulated by the eloquent words that Mm. will come from some people that they are outraged or that they are grieved. There are some people for whom that will be true, but there are a great deal more. And and how can I confidently say that? Because I know where our information comes from. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so the majority of the places where we're getting information, where we're reading stories and where we're watching news um, broadcasts, if you will, uh, these people are disconnected from the true deep spiritual implications of what's happening in this country. Yeah. And what they are actually looking at is just kind of how this feeds their narrative. Right. So the truly wicked among us, they want violence. They want division. They want unrest. And this kind of plays right into their hand. There, There is a, almost a craving and an unceasing desire for there to be mm. a uh, violent revolution or a rebellion. Um, this is, this is in the, this is Marx's roots, right? You have to have this. Uh, people who are the extreme liberals among us, those who are the, as they self-describe, the trained Marxists, they'll take it however they can get it. Because the the result of the type of violence that you saw over the weekend, and this is not the only the only place that you're seeing violence like this. By the way, we could spend this show and probably another show in the future talking about the violence in this country. And the narrative is going to automatically shift to talking about mass shootings. But I think that that would be the low hanging fruit because you would have to ignore all of the other outbreaks of violence that's happening across this country. Wow. And then if you if you don't ignore all yeah. the other outbreaks of violence that's happening across this country, then you have to ask a deeper question, a question that goes beyond gun control. Mm. Right. See, that's where everybody wants to go. I, I'm aware that CNN was having a conversation this morning about uh, the mass shootings and and just sort of really wanting to, 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 you know, pull on your heart there by listing all of the cities where there have been mass shootings just this year. And there's been a total of 201 of them. And they're only mm. looking at mass shootings. And that's that's a huge number. I it mean, that is, is that is an unbelievable number. We're, we're sitting at May here mm-hmm. and you've had 201 mass shootings. And the way they describe or define a mass shooting is uh, four or more people killed or injured. Okay, so Mm -hmm. that's how they describe a mass shooting. And over there at CNN, they go through and they're reading all of these cities, all of these places and the number of times that there have been these mass shootings. 
But it's really convenient to look at the mass shootings when you have a narrative, right? So you don't want to acknowledge the increase of violence in the country Mm -hmm. kind of like as a blanket acknowledgement, Mm -hmm. right? That there is violence. There is the failure to submit to authority. There is the lack of respect for authority. Like, how have we gotten here? This is a conversation that our mass media mm. are unwilling to have. They they don't want to talk about this. They only want to talk about what fits their narrative. Right. And please also don't be confused that the details of at least one of the crimes this this weekend. Um, and I'm talking about Buffalo. Let me say this. Um, I don't know exactly how they're going to continue to handle the L- Laguna Woods shooting. Because I almost I was reading and just kind of watching some of the clips, uh, certainly on the liberal outlets, just to kind of see, because I'm always curious, like once you get bits of information, how they shift the conversation. Right. Because this was an attack on the Asian community. And 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 then I'm like, but but it was by a Taiwanese man Hmm. against other Taiwanese people. So they're like, no, 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 pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Don't talk. Don't talk about that. Right. So it's an attack on the Asian community. So that in some way, if if they can spin that in that way, then that fits their narrative. Right. And then so you've got the uh, the white um, the the white nationalists or the white supremacist who who goes down to the market in Buffalo and shoots 13 people, kills 10 of them. Uh, I want to say two of them were white, I think, or maybe three of them were white. 11 of the 13 were black. So this is a this is a this is a racist crime using their definition. This is a racist crime that fits their definition of racism. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Guys, I, I have said before and I'm going to say it again. That's right. There are, there are people who are going to want to say, why can't you just address it for what it is? Because <laughs> I don't like liberal people who hate God telling me what to do. Come on. And I and I hate not having the ability to be able to address sin or wickedness. Right. Because it doesn't fit in the national talking points mm-hmm. like it, it doesn't. If it doesn't fit into the national talking points, then you can't talk about it. Right. So you can't talk about murder as just being morally reprehensible, that it is just wicked. Right. Mm-hmm. You can't talk about just taking innocent life. Oh, no, don't talk about taking innocent life. Because <laughs> that almost sounds pro-life. Mm hmm. And we, we kind of don't want to talk about that. We just want to talk about white people shooting black people, innocent black people. We want to talk about white law enforcement officers taking the lives of black, innocent men, men who are often complying. That's 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 always the, the narrative. And that's and that's the extent of what you're allowed to feel. And this is this is why I have no tolerance for people who are so weak minded that they can only talk about what they've been given permission and, to yeah, talk about. And that's amazing that, you know, the the news outlets, they know how to spin things, how what, what to highlight. But what's more amazing to me is the people who buy it like just yeah. and not even ask any questions or yep. raise any concerns. It's just like this is how it is. This is how it is. And there's there's like a. You know, they're selling it, but people are buying it. They're like, yes, yes. yes. And it feeds this whole thing to where they can build up this whole, you know, scenario and and, and picture of what, you know, is wrong, you know, and what's going on and and what systems are at play and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, they're selling it, selling it. But there are people who are 
are buying it without even questioning anything. Man, and that's a figurative statement, but also in a literal sense, like that are truly buying it, truly the consumers. They have all of the advertisement because these are the things that are getting the clicks. These are the videos that are being consumed. You know, and I think this is why it's so important for members of the body of Christ to maintain their distinction, because here is the freedom and the liberty that we have as Christians. We get to talk about all of the things Mm, mm -hmm. we get to talk about all of the sin. We get to talk about all of the the wickedness. And when Mm -hmm. I say get to, I don't mean to, to, to make this trivial. I I don't, I'm not trying to do that, but I'm saying we can. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, you know, I, I would say we are compelled to, to yeah. talk about all of the wickedness that points to a rebellion against God. Right. So what happened in Buffalo, New York, where you have this man who goes into this local market. And as I understand in this area, this area of Buffalo, New York is known as like a, a food desert kind of a thing where you don't have a lot of grocery stores that sell fresh foods. This is an ongoing conversation in some neighborhoods that are low income neighborhoods, which you don't often you don't often hear being addressed in those low income neighborhoods. It's more like put, put the payday loans in there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not yep. so much the conversation about putting mm-hmm. a whole foods, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You, you get, right. Anyway, right. Okay. But that we can't talk about. Right. <laughs> so this grocery store, this market was one of the few, or at least I think I watched one guy who was um, on the scene who said this was the only grocery store that was in walking distance for these, these, um, for the people who would go there to, to buy their groceries mm-hmm. where they could get fresh food. Uh, often you'll have like a, um, you'll have like a dollar general or a family dollar mm-hmm. that would be within walking distance of low income neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. But the, the, cr- the outcry has always been, but all of the food is just packaged. It's not healthy. It's not good food. It's not, you know, there's not yeah. fruits and vegetables and things like that. And so this would be one of those markets. And so you've got this man who uh, takes innocent life. He walks in, he's got an agenda. Um, he identifies himself. He wrote like a 180 page uh, manifesto. I believe it was 180 pages where he described himself as a white supremacist. And look, this is wicked. This is, this is, we don't even need to bat an eye about this. We don't need, we don't need to find our position from our favorite commentator. Right. Do you understand what, like you don't, there's certain things and this man, I love the freedom that I have in Christ. I don't have to look to anyone and say, what are they saying about this? Are they finding a way to kind of spin this so that it doesn't make conservatives look bad? I don't look, look, (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) Wickedness is wickedness. Right. We're free to say that. That's why, man, that's why we can look at the things as black Americans. We can look at the things that are wicked that would be coming from what you might describe as the black community and call it out without like biting your tongue Mm -hmm. because you're like, oh, I'm a traitor. No, I'm telling the truth. I'm telling the truth. And you can do that in any community that you identify, you know, as a part of, whether that's a conservative or anything else. All right. We got to grab the break. This is Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll be right back.
people are worried about the protesters and the looters. And it's just people who are frustrated. They are frustrated and they are angry and they are out there and they're upset. You shouldn't be taking televisions, but I can't tell people how to react to this. I'm proud of the protests and um, uh, I think it's part of the tradition of New York. The violence is bad, reprehensible, should be condemned, but it is not the overwhelming picture in New York. Destroying property which can be replaced is not violence. Too many see the protests as the problem. Please. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. So when I say they want this, um, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. This is what we heard from uh, not just a few people in this country where we're talking about open calls for rebellion, a lack of respect for authority, um, just just overall, as we describe it with the kids, overall villainy is what we're talking about. And and now we're at a place where you've got certain people who would cry out and say, you know, look at what where this this gun violence and and, and why are these things happening? But why are these things happening? Right. Why are these things happening? Because we have a culture of violence. We have a culture of death. And indeed, you know, when you start talking about those things, one of the things that becomes really obvious and really overt is that we are being governed, unfortunately, by people who like it that way, by people who like it that way. Um, okay, we're going to we're going to make a shift here because and, and this is this is totally my fault. I have all the information usually in front of me, um, but we have a guest. Yes. And we have Alan Parker on with us. Yes. Are you there, Alan? Yes, I am. Thank you for having me on the program today. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really do appreciate it. I think we reached out to you um, maybe last week to talk about Roe versus Wade and to talk about even just the culture of death in our country. And um, and I'm so glad that you're able to join us today. It kind of, you know, it coincides with just a rough weekend. And I I don't mean to trivialize things or to, to be too light in my words here. But I really think that this speaks to a larger issue that we have in the United States of America, and that is that we have a culture of death. Absolutely. And it was the United States Supreme Court who basically institutionalized that culture in January of 1973 when they created out of whole cloth, not in the Constitution, but out of the penumbra or the shadows of the Constitution is the language they use, Mm -hmm. the right to an abortion. Abortion is not in the Constitution. It's not a right. In fact, it's not a right. It's a crime against humanity. Mm. Mm, Absolutely. And let me make sure to make a proper introduction for our listeners here. Alan Parker joins us, and he is the president of the Justice Foundation and also served as lead counsel for Norma McCorvey, uh, formerly Roe of Roe versus Wade from 2000 to 2012, and Sandra Kano of the Doe in the Doe versus Bolton until 2014 in their efforts to overturn the two landmark cases uh, that brought legalized abortion on demand to America. Can you kind of give us sort of uh, some of the background uh, in, in serving in that capacity, kind of give us a peek, um, I guess, behind the bench, if you will? Sure. Thanks. I am an attorney. I'm licensed to practice before the U.S. Supreme Court. And Norma and Sandra and I got together in the year 2000. That's when I first met them. Hmm. And by that time, Norma McCorvey, who was the real woman, who was the Roe of Roe v. Wade, 
Roe is a pseudonym or a false name used in legal documents. Her real name was Roe v. Wade. She was pregnant with her third child. She did want an abortion, but she never had one. It takes nine months to have a baby. It takes three years to get to the Supreme Court. So that baby was placed for adoption. It wasn't until Norma worked in actual abortion clinics in the 1990s that she changed her position on abortion. Hmm. The harsh reality of working in an abortion clinic and seeing women treated like cattle and not the doctor killed or abortion should be a decision between a woman and her doctor type of theory that sells Roe, she found the reality. She saw the baby parts. She saw the callous treatment of women. And her conscience began to bother her. And when some abortion protesters came and picketed in front of her clinic, and they reached out to her and they began to show her love, they invited her to their local church. A young girl named Emily invited her. And she heard the John 3.16 gospel, and Mm. she gave her life to Jesus Christ. That's how she changed from being pro-abortion to being pro-life shortly afterwards, because it takes a while to get your mind changed once you kind of become a born-again Christian, and that's what Mm -hmm. she was. And she spent the rest of her life on on trying to reverse Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. I met her in the year 2000. And by the way, these written testimonies of what she told the Supreme Court, what I just told you, she swore was the truth. We gave it to the Supreme Court. It's on the website of our organization, thejusticefoundation.org, if people would like to read the story. It's very fascinating. Tell our listeners more about the person, um, I'm sorry, about the purpose and the outreach of your organization. Thank you. We're a 501c3 charitable organization. We represent clients at no charge. We primarily work to reverse Roe v. Wade since the year 2000. And at that time, the Lord told me to collect the testimonies of women hurt by abortion, as well as filing a Rule 60 motion by Norma and Sandra with the Supreme Court, asking the Supreme Court to reverse their own cases. It's remarkable and unusual that two women who won landmark Supreme Court cases asked the Supreme Court to reverse it. But the evidence that they presented was the collection of women of, of written, legally admissible testimonies of women injured by abortion. And we began collecting those on behalf of Norma and Sandra Rowe and Doe. And in this Mississippi case called Dobbs, uh, which is a ban on late-term abortion, we put into the record in our brief on, on behalf of 2,249 women that we represented, we put 4,728 legally admissible written testimonies of the horrible devastation that abortion causes. Even people who want to support abortion think they're helping women, but they don't know how devastating Mm -hmm. the abortion industry is to women because they suppress it and the media suppresses it. How do you think, um, from your perspective and what you've been able to observe up close and personal, how do you think we've had a mainstream media that has largely been able to silence the voice of these women who have been injured by abortion and indeed your client. I mean, to to basically ignore her conversion, to sort of dismiss the power of a person to say, well, you supported me in this way and now I'm saying this, but but 
essentially I'm not receiving that same support. How how did that happen? Well, <clears throat> I, it goes back, I think, to the 1970s when journalism schools stopped seeking truth <laughs> and taught journalists to become change agents. Hmm. And that means if you want to change society to something you think is better, and I think they think they're trying to achieve a better society, that means you don't put all the truth in and let people decide. You create your narrative. This is what we want people to know. This is what we produce. And you can always find a story that fits your narrative. And that's pretty much what they do. They look for something that fits the storyline they want to do. Then they put their words in the mouth of the people who are telling the story. And so many of us, I I would say, become victims of that. So many of us are consuming the information only. And this is exactly the point that we're making today in the the big picture of the violence, the uptick of violence in our country just just across the board. So many of us are consuming only the information that we are allowed to consume. And it's really tragic. Tell our listeners about the moral outcry. Well, in January or in 2017, uh, Melinda Tebow contacted us, and she was the pro-life prayer director at International House of Prayer. And she said that while she was praying, she had seen a picture of rolling out a scroll with a petition to the Supreme Court asking them to reverse Roe v. Wade. Sort of like, uh, if you've ever seen the movie Amazing Grace, which is about William Wilberforce Mm -hmm. and how he abolished slavery, they rolled out a petition to the Parliament of England. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, she said, has anybody ever done that? And I said, no, I don't think so. I know that. I practice before the court. This is my area. I think I know. No. She said, can it be done? And I said, well, there's no reason it can't be. There's no rule against it. So I think it can be done. And in fact, the Constitution gives us a right to petition the government for redress of grievances. That's right. And it wasn't the state legislatures that banned or created abortion rights all across America. Most states said it was a crime, as it is. It was the Supreme Court. It wasn't Congress. So we have to petition the court. So the moral outcry is a petition that anyone can sign. And at our website, the Justice Foundation, and what it is, it answers the question legally, why should Roe v. Wade be reversed? And under the law of judicial precedent, the court does take account of public opinion. It's a little bit unusual. We don't want people usually pressuring the court with public opinion, and the way it's being done now is absolutely a crime of picketing and threatening judges and all of that. That's an obstruction of justice crime. Mm -hmm. But under the law of judicial precedent, um, which was a book that came out in 2016, co-authored by Judge Kavanaugh and Judge Gorsuch, at the time they were Court of Appeal judges, one of the reasons for reversing a Supreme Court decision is if it has been met with general dissatisfaction, protest, or severe criticism. Mm. So we have five reasons, and the first one is a severe criticism of Roe. It's a crime against humanity. Just as bad as two other crimes against humanity the Supreme Supreme Court committed The first was Dred Scott, which Mm -hmm. said Africans-Americans are an inferior race and will never have rights that the white man needs to listen to or pay attention to. And then the second crime against humanity was in 1896, after the Civil War, 
We passed the 14th Amendment to give equal protection to African Americans. But the court, well, and to be honest, I'm not trying to politicize it, it was the Democrats in the South and the Ku Klux Klan who said, well, we're just going to give separate but equal. We're going to create Jim Crow. And the Supreme Court said, oh, separate but equal. That's not what the Constitution says, but we'll accept that. Mm. So they gave less than full protection to a class of human beings, in that case, African-Americans. That's a crime against humanity. And it wasn't until 1954, 58 years later, after it had been the, quote, law of the land, settled by the Supreme Court for 58 years, it wasn't fixed till 1954, or begin to be fixed, when the Supreme Court reversed its own 58-year-old precedent and said, we're going to give full equal protection to African Americans. We're going to stop the segregation. And of course, it was pretty difficult struggle, but the court held firm. Mm, that's interesting. You know, and I'm thinking about just, man, you've painted such a beautiful picture of why, why our engagement is so important and just even understanding history, because you think of the resistance that we're looking at now. This is not a resistance that would be unfamiliar to any right change. I mean, mm. you're, you're going to have that. Uh, describe the moment that you feel like we're in right now. Is this I mean, you've just kind of sure, I'd kind of pointed out that, that it's reminiscent. Go ahead. Go yeah. ahead. I was at the oral argument in the Mississippi case on December 1st in front of the Supreme Court. I was there that day. It was argued. It was the Mississippi uh, attorneys who argued the case, since that's who defend states. But we filed four friend of the court briefs on behalf of different clients. So I was there on behalf of Melinda Tebow, the founder of the Moral Outcry Petition, and over a half a million people who had signed the petition at that point, and the 2,249 women we represented, and the 375 women who'd had late-term abortions, and described the horror of that. Well, that day, for the first time since, well, the first time ever in my lifetime, we outnumbered the pro-death side, and it's important for Christians to show up. And we filed 80 briefs on our side to 40 on their side. So I feel like the tide of history is turning. Mm. But here's something interesting that they started shouting that day for the first time. They were shouting, abortion forever, abortion forever. I've been in a lot of the crowds, and they they like to shout, abortion on demand and without apology, abortion no regrets, get your hands off my body. This Mm. was a new one, abortion forever. And you know what it hit me right there? Just before segregation fell, what was the war cry of the segregationist? Segregation forever. Mm. And they stood on the court, you know, the schoolhouse steps and sort of sat over my dead body. But fortunately, you know, they got out of the way when the court said, we're we're coming in. We're going to protect African-Americans. And it reminded me of that moment of history. We're seeing a nation turn from death to life, from a crime against humanity to protection of all citizens. And there's a new legal thing. I believe even women who would choose abortion today will be better off and America can end the abortion wars. Hmm. 
Mm, oh, this mm. is just so powerful, man. I, I really appreciate your insights there because I'm I'm thinking of the number of black Americans who are in favor of abortion. And just I mean, the juxtaposition here is just really glaring. It's amazing to me that you would have those who would miss this comparison, uh, willfully miss this comparison. This is Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. Alan Parker, president of the Justice Foundation. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Jay Carter, what I have decided. It's amazing that we're in this moment. It's, it's kind of like this frozen moment in time where we've got an uptick of just violence and crime in our country. And at the same time, we're sort of like standing at the precipice of a major change, right? Like we're kind of yeah. right on the edge of the writing of an incredible injustice in our country that made millions of victims. And I'm not just talking about the babies Mm. who lost their lives. I'm talking about the moms. I'm talking about the dads who believed the lie, who believed the lie. And unfortunately, I, I think that, you know, probably on this side, we will not understand the full consequences or the extent to which we have damaged people in this country. Um, what a shame. Mm-hmm. Attorney Alan Parker, president of the Justice Foundation, joins us and we're talking about the moral outcry. And before we went to the break, we were just kind of drawing a parallel here, looking at what has happened in this country in the past when our Supreme Court has gotten it wrong. It may mm-hmm. have taken a long time, but eventually we were able to kind of claw our way out of that. Right. Um, and here we are again <laughs> with Roe versus Wade and um Everybody, I think a lot of people feel like we could be looking at the overturning of Roe versus Wade in this country. Uh, I think we have a couple questions that we want to just kind of wrap up with. I'll start with mine and then Will the Great, you can wrap up with yours. But Mm -hmm. I guess I I think it's important. um, And Mr. Parker, if you wouldn't mind making this very clear to our listeners, it's important for our listeners to understand what the overturning of Roe versus Wade actually means in this country. I think there are a lot of people who don't understand what this actually means. And I think there's actually a, a, a liberal media that likes it that way. I agree with you. And the little known fact, which I appreciate you getting out, is that when Roe v. Wade is reversed, the it'll go back to the states. Mm-hmm. Most states, there won't be much change at all. But in some states, there's about 12 or 13 that abortion will be banned right away. There's another 12 or 13 where it might be banned pretty quickly. But even in a state where abortion is banned, no woman would have to care a parent a child that she doesn't want or can't parent or take care of. And most women get abortions not because they want to kill a child, but because they say, I can't take care of a baby at this phase of my life. Well, number one, there are thousands of pregnancy resource centers that will help the woman. Mm -hmm. But if she still says, I can't do it, or I don't want to have a baby, today, in every state in the nation, 
a woman can simply safely surrender her child at a hospital or fire station or other designated state place within a certain period of time after birth, and she can be free of the burden of parenting. Mm -hmm. That's one of our arguments in the moral outcry petition, and Justice Barrett mentioned it in the oral argument in the Mississippi case. She said, doesn't the safe haven law eliminate the burden of parenting? And the answer is, yes, it does. They're the lawyers for the abortionists are very hemmed and hawed. But yes, it does. And so we can move, we can have justice for the child. Don't kill the baby. Mercy for the mother. Please don't hurt yourself with abortion trauma, anxiety, depression, substance abuse, suicide attempts. Don't hurt yourself. We will we'll help you. Through the safe haven law, we'll take the baby from you. If that's what you want, voluntarily. No cost, unlike abortion. So it's equally available to the rich and the poor. And it lets the women have much more time up to the day the baby's born. And if she's low income, every state will pay her medical bills. That's the major expense if you're pregnant. Maybe some clothes as you get larger. But that's it. The state will pay all those for low-income women. And then what will happen to those children? Well, there's 1 million to 2 million families waiting every year to mm -hmm. adopt newborn children. So it's the love, love, love solution. Love the baby, love the mom, and love the adoptive families that are willing to give the baby a loving home. That's why we can change. We don't need to be stuck in the past. We can move forward, and I believe even women who would otherwise might choose abortion because that's all they've got today. Mm-hmm. Now they've got a better option, and I believe the Supreme Court's going to reverse it, mm. and the covenant with death, the agreement with the grave that are row and doe are coming mm. down. Oh, mm. wow. So well mm. said. So well said, Mr. Parker. Go ahead, Will the Great. Now I was going to ask a couple of questions. Um, what do you make of the whole uh, leak? And you, you see, saw a lot of protests and things happening around the country of uh, – you know, people, women who wanted ab abortions want to keep it, you know, as a legal thing. Do, do you think that says something about our country or do you believe that that's just a, a small fraction of people that the media is kind of blowing it up to look like uh, most people still want this? Well, the fact that people are doing it is terrible. The media is blowing it up is terrible. And the fact that there was a leak is terrible. It is a sign of a lawless society mm. and a corruption and a failure to follow the Constitution. It started in Roe. Mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned earlier people have protests. There's no right to protest in the Constitution by name. What it says, there's a right of people to peacefully assemble. Mm -hmm. That's what the Constitution is. If people use that understanding... You don't have a right to burn buildings. No. That's right. right. That's right. You have a right to peacefully assembly mm. and talk about what it is you're upset about. And if that, you don't have the right to block the highways. Right. Uh, I'll tell you, <laughs> when we were before the Supreme Court once, we were unrolling a scroll and two scrolls with half a million names on it of the moral outcry petition in front of the Supreme Court. We had the free speech area. We were talking. We showed it. The protesters for the abortion came up and were screaming at us, and it's a little loud and rude, but that's okay. They were on the sidewalk. That's where you can speak your mind. Mm -hmm. But then they went into the street. What happens there? They block other people's liberty. Mm -hmm. I can't get where I'm supposed to go. The street is for everybody. 
the sidewalk is a free speech area. Mm-hmm. And they stepped in the street and the paddy wagon came. And three mm-hmm. times they were warned, if you don't move, we're going to arrest you. And they didn't move and they got arrested. But they had the sidewalk. They could have yelled at us all they wanted. That's yeah. free speech. Yeah. But abortion was arrested that day, and abortion is being arrested in America. <laughs> and we have a better solution for every woman through the safe haven law. Amen. Amen. And I would ask also, what is the call to action for Christians? Well, right now, pray. Mm-hmm. Pray for the safety of the Supreme Court and the family. Yeah. Pray for an end of the injustice of abortion. God hates the shedding of in blood. Mm-hmm. There are actually three cases before the Supreme Court that we could get a triple victory. I believe in 1962, when we abandoned, we prohibited voluntary prayer in the public schools, that's when we broke our covenant with God, and things have been going down since 1962 mm-hmm. to a great extent. But right now, we could get reversal of Roe v. Wade, stop the shedding of in blood, we could return voluntary prayer even to public schools in the Coach Kennedy case, mm. and we could get school choice where children could get out of the schools that teach against God mm. and by parental choice, no coercion, no coercion in all of this. We are against forced religion. Mm-hmm. We don't want a church-established religion. Mm. We want everyone to be free to pick what they want. That's America. And there's a school choice case where they could say, think about it. Right now, you have a right to a free public education, but another great injustice is that your money is taken from you and your children are forced by compulsory attendance law to go to a school that teaches against your religion. Mm. That's not right. And listen, let me let me just say you're not you're not saying this, okay, Mr. Parker. I I am saying this. So so let me let me just also say that when we talk about where our kids are educated to believe to believe that our kids in the public school system are receiving some sort of neutral education is to be deceived. So I would say there is a religious education of sorts that is being pushed in the public school system. I don't think that a lot of parents recognize it. So to your point, the expansion of school choice, I would say even as a right of parents to be able to decide where their kids go to school, to not have their kids indoctrinated against their will is an excellent thing. And I believe that you could see the country turn around because if you look at our kids and you look at the generations, you look at their power to shift the country, then what we're talking about is shaping the next generation in real time. That's exactly right. And that's why the left wants your children in their schools. They've said (laughs) it. Robert Reich, former Labor Labor Secretary, uh, the failed candidate in Virginia who said, we know best. And the (laughs) National Education Association wants to teach your children what they believe. And that there is no God, is that a religious view? That's what they teach through pure evolution and only evolution. That's a religious view, yep. And and, uh, that you can be whatever sex you want to, or Mm -hmm. rather than there's male and female, is that a religious view? Yep. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, all sorts of things. They have their religion, I agree with you. Even the Supreme Court has said secular humanism is a religion. That was in the case called Tercaso v. Watkins. But, it, but most people don't know that. Fortunately, the pandemic has woken up. The Justice yes. Foundation actually was founded to litigate for school choice in Texas, and we were instrumental in getting a new kind of school created in Texas in 1995 called Charter Schools, non-governmental employees with a nonprofit running it rather than a government school. You don't have to have a government school teach you. 
There are mm-hmm. lots of great teachers in the world, and we need freedom. It will actually oh. force improvement in all yes. of public education. And I will say this. I want to address racism, because many of the public schools in Texas and other places are saying, we're racist. That's why we can't teach third-grade uh, black boys to read. In the Fort Worth School District, 87% of the African males are not reading or were not at the year this data came out. Uh, they weren't reading at third grade after being in the public schools three years. Mm-hmm. So what does the district do? It says, you know what? We're institutionally racist. <laughs> well, you ought to be able to take your child out of a racist school and put him in another school. <laughs> so but good. they say, oh, we're going to spend millions of dollars of the teacher's money to teach ourselves not to be racist. <laughs> and then they introduce this racist, critical race theory mm. in the schools. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, the most effective racist organization in America today, and I'm going to say this, this is my opinion, is Planned Parenthood. No doubt. <laughs> they were for, and here, by even by their own definition of systemic racism, their founder, Margaret Sanger, mm-hmm. was racist. Yep. And they've admitted that in the New York Times this year. Their, their own employees say they're racist. And then... Uh, the disproportionate impact. Mm. African Americans are about 11% of the population, but they're 33% of the abortions. And where do they put their clinics? Yeah. That's right. And they say, now they're starting to say in their pleadings, women of color need abortion disproportionately more. So they're disproportionately killing black children. Which is, and here, Alabama's or Mississippi's about the, or some state that bans abortion and stops killing infant children. Who is a, who's more racist? Someone says, bring me your children and we'll kill them and we'll disproportionately kill black children mm-hmm. or we're going to ban abortion and disproportionate numbers of ch- black children will be born. Come on. That's life. And let me say this. Some people say, oh, white people won't adopt black children. You know what? Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court has Come adopted on. two black children. Mm-hmm. And Katanji Brown, who is been approved but not yet on the court till there's a vacancy she's married to a white man right (laughs) Right. you know i'm not saying what that means but doesn't that show you there's not that much racism less than america oh boy you can have a biracial couple on the court and another couple that's adopted biracial children we are over it not you know i'm not saying there's not some racism and yes there is that's a evil in people's heart but as a system-wide baby we've come a long way Come that on. ought to be our attitude. Yeah. Oh man, Mr. Wow. Parker, look, I could I could talk to you just for a few more minutes here. I mean, we we are out of time essentially, but can I just say that it is so refreshing to talk with honest believers, like honest followers of the Lord Jesus yeah. Christ who are not, you know, not kind of bent toward apologizing for the truth, but just telling the truth. It is so refreshing. And and you think about it because we live in a culture that is really kind of romanticized being lied to. We kind of actually enjoy that, right? So that when a person tells the truth, it seems provocative. And it shouldn't be because it's actually just the truth. And the last minutes that we have on the on the program here today, would you please let our listeners know how they can contact your organization, connect with you, and learn more about what it is that you do? Yes, everything we have for free, it's on our website, thejusticefoundation.org. If you're a woman or a man who's had an abortion, it's not the unforgivable sin. We have abortion healing resources uh, in Jesus Christ and even secular programs at our website. Abortion recovery is available for you. We have uh, materials against forced abortion. 
If you know of someone who's being forced to have an abortion, that's illegal in every state, usually mm-hmm. parents doing it to minors, or the man forcing the woman to abort his child, or prostitution or human trafficking. All that's on our website for free, and you can sign the moral outcry. Anybody can do that at thejusticefoundation.org. Thejusticefoundation.org. Mr. Alan Parker, everybody, thank you so much for listening. We are out of time. Man, I we got to have Mr. Parker back. Yes. I think there's a little bit more for us to talk about. <laughs> I'm going to tell you one of my favorite things that he said, and he's talking about these schools that are saying they just can't teach black kids because they're racist, but then you can't take your kids out. <laughs> you, you can't. You can't. <laughs> Go via the Underground Railroad. All right, we're out of time. (laughs) Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.